Hello, I'm Dr. Joseph Kern, and welcome to A Radiant Moment. Get ready to receive helpful insights and a relevant word for today's world. For service times, live streaming, and location, visit us online at RadiantLifeAZ.com. Now, let's listen in as we bring you a powerful and dynamic word for your life today. This is A Radiant Moment with Dr. Joseph Kern. And by the way, I want to thank all those who are in the armed forces. In fact, Sheila, who graduated, she actually fought in Desert Storm. And so we salute Sheila and my father and all the... If, you, if you've been in the military, will you stand right now? We'd like to thank you. If, you. if you're in the military, or you've been in the military, thank you. Thank you. I'm a very big fan of the military. I'm a... I love the military. My grandfather was in the military. My, my, my great, uh, my grandfather, my dad, my uncle served in the military. I serve in God's army. So I'm in the military, but I'm in God's army. Amen. Um, Jehovah Jesus is my general. Amen. But I'll tell you what, without people like you, we wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be able to preach. Amen. Do you realize that there have been more Christians killed in the last 30 years than in the last few hundred? In fact, um, we, we gave the numbers a few weeks ago in a sermon. In fact, just another 13 are, um, um, of our brothers and sisters, Coptic Christians, were killed in Egypt just for traveling. They were gunned down. Many of them were children. This just happened last week. And ISIS is trying to take credit for it. But here in America, we're able to stand tall. We're able to preach with boldness. and not. So, Lord, I thank you for our military. I thank you for the United States of America. I thank you for our president and our Congress and our Supreme Court. I pray that you'd bless this land and that you would turn our heart back towards you, Lord. And we pray that there would be a Jesus movement in this nation, O oh Father. And we pray that there would be a transfer wealth to increase that Jesus movement. Father, we do that. We claim it. We claim this building debt-free in Jesus' name. $3 million paid off because you're able to do the impossible. And we doubt not. And everyone said, in Jesus' name, amen. Come on, come on. God is good. Give the Lord a shout of praise. We are on our second week of the rise and fall of Lucifer and his prophetic significance. This is definitely a, a prophetic teaching. Why? Because we're not just talking about his fall, but we're talking about how it will affect, how it's affected the last four millennia and the next two. And every week, when we talk about his fall, I give a little part, and then we talk about an application of it today. And I think today it's going to blow your mind for those who are interested in different religions and stuff. But today's topic is the rise and fall of Lucifer, part two, the five I will statements. Let's turn to our Bibles to Genesis chapter one, verse one through three. But before we do that, can we put our hands in our eyes and let's pray the prayer, say, Holy Spirit, give me 40 vision. In this house, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. If you're grateful for the Holy Spirit, can you just say, Thank you, Jesus? Amen. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 through 3 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and voided. Darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. What I'm going to do is just recap what we talked about last week in the next minute. And we read this scripture, and the first thing we are introduced is to a controversy. In Hebrew, it says, Resheth Elohim, in the dateless path, 
the gods. And what we're introduced is to an unusual word, the gods, Elohim, created the heavens and the earth. But it's interesting because it's an uniplural name. It's a plural name with a singular verb because we don't serve many gods. We serve three gods in one. Amen? Do you understand that? It's called the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And we're introduced to that in this verse. But so that you understand he's one God, it's a singular verb so that there's an agreement. Amen? Come on, talk to me. And you see it in the verse. Verse 1, you see God the Father said, and God created. In the um, second verse, you see the manifestation of the second person of the God. It, it says, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And then in verse 3, you see the manifestation of the second person of the Godhead, Jesus, where it says, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. In John 1, 1, it says that that light was the Word of God. And in verse 14 of John 1, it says, and it manifested as Christ. It manifests in the flesh. So here in the first three verses, we're automatically introduced that God is three in one. We don't serve three gods. No, God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy Spirit. He's three, but one. Amen. Way beyond even our comprehension, but we just receive it. Amen. Now, also what we learned was that Lucifer had a high position in the government of God. And it's even higher than most people suspect. And one of the things that I want you to get out of this lesson is that you watch yourself. What do I mean by that? When you look at the position of Lucifer and the offices that he hold and how high he fell, I mean, in other words, you should be looking at yourself saying, wow, I need to watch myself because if Lucifer at this position could fall, what about me? And that is what the Bible says. It warns you in the New Testament over and over to, to not fall in the condemnation of the devil. So we're not supposed to just look and say, look at the devil. He was a dummy. The idea that when we study the rise and fall of Lucifer is that we look at ourselves and say, Lord, never allow that type of pride to enter my heart that I end up forsaking you. Amen. Because I think every one of us know a person or two who used to serve God. It seems strong. And where are they today? They fell into the same condemnation of the enemy. And these teachings are a reminder, no matter how strong you are, no matter how powerful you are, if you're not careful and you don't submit to God, the devil can get you. Amen? And so we, we, with soberness, we study the scriptures and we find out three things that are absolutely amazing. We find out that three of the titles that Lucifer used to hold, we now hold. And so when we begin to realize that he has the same titles that we used to have, we begin to realize why he hates us so much. One of the titles we learned last week is that he held was that he was a prophet. In Ezekiel 28, 14, it says, Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth. And we learned that the anointing in the Old Testament was tied to the prophets. Touch my, not my anointed and do my prophets no harm. Satan, or excuse me, in the past when his name was Lucifer, he was called the anointed cherub. He was an anointed prophet. And he had a prophetic anointing and he has not lost it. The only difference is now he uses it for evil. He prophesies death and destruction. He pro well, well, the prophecies of God are for edification, exhortation, and comfort. His are all about damnation, destruction. That's why I get nervous when I hear church people, all they do is talk about death. Come on, talk to me. Because that's what the enemy does. The, the spirit of prophecy is life, is Jesus. Come on, talk to me. That doesn't mean you, you'll always hear the most positive thing, but you need to be careful of that because Satan has not lost his prophetic gifts. And sometimes he'll infiltrate the church. And speak through people. And we'll show some of that in this teaching. 
Lucifer was also called a priest in Ezekiel 28, verse 18. It says, thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries. If you have sanctuaries, that means you're a priest. He had churches. He had places where congregations got together. And this is amazing. And we know where it was. It was on earth. So he had sanctuaries. He was a priest. And we know that even on his garments, he had all the precious stones known to man. And they happened to be the same stones that were on the breastplate of the high priest as a memorial for him to make prayer. So he was an intercessor. Lucifer was a priestly intercessor, had the stones of memorial to remind him to pray for the nations or whatever was on the earth pre-Adamic, before Adam, in the Reshith, in the dateless past, before time began. And when you begin to study this, you begin to realize the more you know, the more questions you have. None of us know it all. Amen. In Isaiah chapter 14, verse 13, it says, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. If you have a throne, then that means you're a king. Whoa. So Lucifer was a king and you learn, well, what was he the king of? He says, I will ascend into heaven. That means his throne was on earth. So he was the king, priest and prophet on earth. This is in the dateless past. He fell and became the devil. And all those titles were given to you. Come on. We are now the king, priests, and prophet of our homes. You say, but I'm a female. God doesn't wreck. There's no male or female in the kingdom of God. Galatians tells us that. And in, in Revelation chapter 1, verse 6 says, we are all kings and priests. Amen. So if you're a woman, you're a king and a priest. Come on. Amen. Come on. Look at your neighbor and say, hi, your majesty. Come on. Look at your other neighbor and say, hi, your majesty. Come on, that's what, you, do you realize who you are? So why do you do that stinking thinking? Why do you look at yourself so lowly when you are of royalty? You're of a kingly heritage. Come on. You have the image of God. So let's look at the five statements of Lucifer. These are the statements he made on earth in his rebellion. And in them, we get a revelation of what took place. Let's listen to Isaiah chapter 14. Verses 12 through 15. Let's do that. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. I don't know about you, but those passages still give me goosebumps to think of the rebellion against God from his heavenly hosts, specifically led by Lucifer. The word Lucifer is Halaleh. That's what it is in Hebrew. In English, it's Lucifer. And it means light bearer or shining one. And it's interesting because he says, How art thou fallen, O shining one, son of the morning? In Hebrew, it's Ben Shekah, or Ben Shalach, which means son of the dawn, son of the morning. And what it's doing, it's showing you his glory before his fell, that he was called the son of the morning. How many know that one of the most beautiful things is the morning, right? It brings hope knowing that a new day has begun. And he was called the son of the morning. That he was glorious. The sun rose and shined on him. That before his fall, God said, you're so glorious. You're the son of the morning. 
And he says, how thou hast fallen, O Lucifer. Because he's not the son of the morning anymore. In fact, Jesus took that title, if you read the scripture, in Revelation, I am now the bright and what? Morning star. Amen? Come on, this is powerful when you study this. So it's looking at, what's my point? He has not lost his outer beauty. He lost his inner beauty. It's corrupt by the reason of his brightness. But he has not, because so many times in the church and even in the world, we're fooled by the imagery. We're fooled by the movies. Because Satan always comes out with horns. He looks he looks like a devil. You know what I mean? He, they call him Slewfoot. He has a tail. And, you know, I mean, he looks, he looks like a devil. Come on, talk to me. But according to the scripture, he has not lost his, his glorious beauty, if you will. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14, it says, And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. And think about it. If the devil was to come to you looking all ugly, you don't want to serve him. But if he comes to you in the form of an angel, he can deceive you and you might follow him. And if you think you won't, I want you to guess again or take another look. Because so many people have had an appearance from Satan, but he didn't come as Satan. He came as an angel of light and he brought great deception. And it's still happening today. I'm going to reveal some of that to you today. In fact, the Apostle Paul warned Christians, specifically the church of Galatia. In his apostolic letter to the Galatians, he warned about angels of light appearing to people and deceive them by preaching another gospel. Look at Galatians 1.8. But though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than, than which we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Let him be accursed. Don't listen to him. Why is he saying this? A pre, a, an angel from heaven. He's not talking about an angel from the third heaven. He's talking about an angel from the second or first heaven, which can be a fallen angel. And he says he can appear. And if you're not careful, he'll preach to you a whole new gospel. What is crazy is two of the biggest religions in America, one of them is, is one of the largest in the world, was started by a fallen angel. And I believed it was Satan himself masquerading as an angel of light, just like Paul warned us. For example, in 610 AD, an angel called Gabriel appeared to Muhammad and preached a different gospel called Islam. And the whole heart of Islam is that God doesn't have a son. Is that not blasphemy? Because our whole salvation is based on that God so loved the world. But the heart of Islam, their main slogan is God doesn't have a son. And the angel said the gospels are mixed up. And so you need to write a new one and a new way of salvation. And Jesus was a prophet, but he was he was one of many. An angel and he bought it. And most of the Muslim or most of the Arab world is what? Muslims. At least one billion deceived by an angel of light. In 1823, I want you to pay close attention to the date, say 1823. An angel called Moroni. I'll stop there anyways. Appeared to Joseph Smith and preached a different gospel called Mormonism. Many people believe that Mormonism is another branch of Christianity. No, it's not. It's, an, it's a cult. In fact, Moroni spoke to Joseph and said, 
The word is no good. It's been corrupt. But you know, I just did a five-week teaching on the manuscripts, how the word of God is perfect. There's no corruption. But this angel said there was a corruption. You need to write a new book, the Book of Mormon. And everybody's out of order except for you. You're the only good person. So you need to start a new church called Mormonism. Now, what's crazy is that a lot of people don't know history. And a lot of people, isn't Mormon a weird word? Still, it's kind of, that's a weird word, Mormon. But here's the part that's, I'm going to blow your mind. Is that the word Mormon does not mean more good. This is what a lot of Mormons say, it means more good. No, it does. That's not even the etymology of the word. By the way, if you study Mormon, because the word is a Greek word, and it's thousands of years old. And there's a reason why he picked it. And if you understand the word, you understand what the true nature of Mormonism is. In fact, in front of you, I've given you a picture of a 1738 Oxford English Dictionary. Why? Because all the new dictionaries won't tell you what Mormon means. Because they've been able to take it out of the dictionary. So you have to go to, before the church was established, and before it was erased, what Mormon means. Thank God for the internet, and somebody has scanned these books. So here's a picture from a 1738 Oxford English Dictionary. It defines Mormon. It comes from the word Mormo, which is an alternative spelling from the Greek word Mormon. So Mormon is a Greek word. It refers, listen to this, to a hideous she-monster which was used to frighten little children. The word Mormo or Mormon was used with the exclamation boo to frighten small children. You know, you say that word boo and we do that to scare people. Guess what? That comes from Mormo, Mormon. Mormon was used and you go boo when you would mention her name. That's where that, and we still say boo, but we don't realize it comes from Mormon. In Greek mythology, you're going to understand the connection in a minute. Mormon was a goddess who bit bad children, said to have been a consort of the Greek goddess of fertility, Hecate, who later became associated with Persophanes. Listen to this. Who is Mormon? She's the goddess of the underworld and the protector of witches. Mormon is the goddess of fertility who was the protector of witches. You're, ooh, this is gonna, you're gonna understand what the Mormon church really is about. The name was also used to signify a female vampire. She was a vampire. She was a vampire-like creature in stories told to Greek children by their nurses to keep them from misbehaving. In other words, when kids would misbehave in Greek, they go, if you're not careful, Mormon's going to come after you. Boo! You better do be. So they would scare their children into behaving right by saying, if you're not careful, Mormon will come after you. The vampire who bites children who are bad. I think there's a lot of people that have been bit by Mormo. Come on, talk to me. In Cantonese Chinese, the word Mormon, Mo is devil. Moon means gate. It literally means the devil's gate. Mormon means the devil's gate. You're saying, how, what, is, what do you mean that it's named? Well, she is the goddess of fertility, the protector of witches, because the Mormon church is a church of witches, whether you know this or not. Joseph Smith's family was deeply involved in witchcraft and magic. Joseph was known to use seer stones, even in his books he talks about it, to find buried treasures. Those are divination, which is forbidden in Deuteronomy 18. 
Witchcraft books of his day taught that buried treasures were guarded by spirit beings who had to be appeased in a specific way. Only a ceremonial dagger could be used to make magic circles and a special talisman was needed for conjuring or raising up the spirit. And he was one of the best at doing this. He would be looking for treasures by using his magic circle and his talisman. He actually had um, Joseph carried a dagger with occultic symbols and he also had a silver Jupiter talisman for protection to protect him from the demons when he would be doing this witchcraft, finding buried treasure. This is all well known. In fact, I want to show you a quick video of William Schoenblen, who was high into Satanism and witchcraft, and for a while he was in leadership in the Mormon church. Here's his story, at least shortened. You understand something here. I was probably one of the most powerful warlocks on the west coast of Lake Michigan. And yet one praying Christian lady took me off at the kneecaps. That is the power of prayer, amen? And, and I want to encourage you people, because if you're praying for someone, and I don't think there's too many people around that are as bound up in evil as I was. I mean, they're out there, but there aren't that many of them. And if you're praying for someone, be encouraged, because that is the power of prayer. And especially if you understand how to pray and bind the deceitful spirits that Satan has around that person and to loose the spirits of truth into that person's heart. Um, there's not much hope that, that person isn't going to get right with the Lord sooner or later. It took me about five or six years, but I finally got saved. So anyhow, I was in this dire strait. I didn't know what to do. Uh, I cried out to Lucifer for a sign. And I, I you know, because I, I was supposed to have all this great stuff happening to me, and instead my entire life was a shambles. And I said, what's going on here? I cried out for some kind of sign, and within a couple of days... Mormon missionaries knocked at our door. <laughs> and uh, the funny thing about that, now that might seem, well, that's interesting, but what does that have to do with the price of tea in China? Well, I'll tell you. What happens there is that I had been told many years earlier by this grand druid fellow down in Arkansas that if I ever got in really deep spiritual trouble, what I needed to do was join the Mormon church because the Mormon church had been started by witches for witches for the express purpose of... Giving, giving people a place, like, a, play, a place for people like me to hide out and appear to be nice, conservative, white-bred Republican Christians, you know, even though we secretly believed all the same things that witches believed. Now, that might surprise you, but believe it or not, there's plenty of documentary evidence. We go into some of it in our book on the back table called Mormonism's Temple of Doom that, involved, that proves that Joseph Smith was, in fact, a warlock, the founder of the Mormon church, and most of the early church leaders were deeply involved in sorcery. So anyway, we got into the church. We joined it. They, they loved us. We went through the ranks. I became an elders quorum president. We went to the temple. We had been told by this druid that it would be a profoundly occult experience. And guess what? He was right. It was the high point of our occult life. We, we really thought we were on the right track here because we were part of this huge, powerful, wealthy church and yet we were still serving Lucifer. It was like the best of both worlds. In fact, we had a meeting about two days after we were sealed with Elder Faust, who at that time was one of the 12 apostles. Uh, I think he was the low man on the totem pole. That's like the ruling hierarchy of the entire Mormon church internationally. We got in there because we knew certain signs and words and tokens. And uh, he told us, after a lengthy interview, he bore us his solemn testimony that Lucifer was, in fact, the god of the Mormon temple. So, you know, we knew we were on the right track. 
So interesting, Mormon, from the dictionary tells you it means she's the protector of witches, and it just so happens, according to even some of the founders, that Mormonism was found to present a version of Christianity, but it's a protector for witches like him. Wow. Come on. And all of that was introduced by an angel called Moroni. Is, so you know that was Satan himself. And so now did we say that every Mormon is a witch? No, Muslims don't even know. But they don't realize the hierarchy definitely into Luciferianism and witchcraft. And if you can make a lot of money like they do with their religion, why would you give it up? Come on, talk to me. Boy, there wasn't even an amen. Are you guys here this morning? Amen. Do you agree? All right. You just kind of got quiet on me for a minute. Don't get quiet on me because I'll look at you funny. Come on. In other words, Satan can be compared to a bar. All bright on the outside, but dark once you walk into the place. Come on. So let's look at his first statements because these statements are profound. He first says, I will ascend into heaven. When Lucifer rebelled and sin entered his heart, it was while he was on earth, not in heaven. Why? Because most people teach that Satan fell in heaven. That's impossible. In fact, I even heard one preacher say that because he had lost a lot of his members. He says, how can you expect me to keep my people if God couldn't keep his people in heaven? Whoa, man. That's a big misunderstanding of the scripture. Because when Lucifer fell, he was not in heaven, he was on earth. For he said, I will ascend into heaven. Now, why is that so important? Because Jesus told us to pray a prayer every day. In Matthew 6.10, this is part of the Lord's Prayer. He says, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If Lucifer failed on earth and there was sin, why would we pray that prayer? The reason why we can pray that prayer, because he didn't fall in heaven. He fell on earth and heaven is perfect. It's beautiful. That's why we can confidently say, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Come on. How can you sin in front of God? You can't. Sin can't even look at God. In fact, the Bible says during the last, during the judgment, heaven and earth flees from his face. Did you hear what I just said? Amen. So, second statement. He says, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. That word star is a reference to angels. In Job 38, 7, it says, when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. So basically he's saying, I have a throne, I am a king, but I want to be the highest above all the angels. In other words, Lucifer is declaring that he wants preeminence among all the angels of God. It wasn't enough that he had a high position, but he wanted to be above all of them. In Daniel chapter 8, verse 10, it talks about his strategy. And it waxed great even to the host of heaven. He's talking about the host of heaven. And it cast down, talking about Lucifer, some of the hosts, and of the stars to the ground, and he stamped upon them. Man, the Bible describes that those that fell with him, he literally stamped them to the ground, Lucifer, because he wanted to be over them. But no matter how hard Satan tries to magnify his office, God has consistently promised in his word to bring him down. Look at Obadiah chapter 1 verse 4. Though thou exalt thyself as the eagle, and though thou set thy nest among the stars, thence I will bring thee down, saith the Lord. He says, I don't care how high you fly, I'll find you and I'll knock you down. And we need to look at ourselves because sometimes we get a little high and mighty. And God says, if you don't want yourself, I'll visit you. The third statement, 
I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. It's fascinating because you have to interpret scripture with scripture. What is he talking about? The mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. Well, the location of heaven in scripture is seen in the sides of the north or in the north. Look at Job 26, 7. He stretcheth out north over the empty place and hangeth the earth upon nothing. Psalm 48, 1 through 2. A song and psalm for the sons of Korah. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Excuse me. In the city of our God and the mountain of his holiness. Beautiful for situation. The joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north. The city of the great king. So it's talking about our great king, God. And notice wherever it's called the sides of the north. Somehow his kingdom, even though it's in another dimension, is in the utmost north. So what is Satan saying here? He's basically saying this is another statement by Lucifer of his desire to conquer and to rule by sitting on God's throne. Because the sides of the north is where God sits. The mount of the congregation is where he sits. He says, I will sit in his place. The fourth statement. He says, I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. Again, here's another description of that when he fell, he was on earth, not in heaven, because clouds are on earth, not in heaven. But I want you to write this down because these clouds speak of two things. Check this out. The first thing is that clouds speak of God's position in the heavens. In Nahum chapter 1 verse 3, it says, The Lord is slow to anger and great in power and will not at all acquit the wicked. The Lord hath his way in the whirlwind and in the storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. So when it describes God, it describes him as the clouds are the dust of his feet. In other words, God's so high. And, and, but Lucifer says, I will ascend above those clouds. In other words, I'll knock you off that cloud. I mean, this is arrogance. Secondly, what did he mean by I will ascend above the clouds? Whenever you read of clouds, clouds speak of God's knowledge and wisdom. In fact, every day I love looking at the sunsets in Arizona. Amen. Aren't it the beautiful hues of orange and red? And it looks like heaven. It, and, it, and, and it's still a mystery. And I don't know, sometimes I'll look and I'll see things in the clouds. Do you all ever do that, draw pictures in the clouds? They're beautiful. They're majestic. They're mysterious. I don't really understand them. Well, that has to do with the mystery of God, with the knowledge of God, with the wisdom of God. It's a reference to that. Look at this. In Job 37, verse 16, does thou know the balancing of the clouds? the wondrous works of him, which is perfect in knowledge. So he, go, he, he God asked Job, do you understand all about the clouds and the knowledge behind them? He's, he's telling Job, there's a distinct, incredible mystery about them. Psalm 57, 10, for thy mercy is great into the heavens and thy truth into the clouds. So as high as the clouds are from the earth, he compares truth to that. So again, the clouds represent God's truth, represents his knowledge, it represents his wisdom. Job chapter 38 verse 37 says, Who can number the clouds in wisdom? Or who can stay the bottles of heaven? Can you capture them and put them in a bottle? No, you can't. So what is Satan saying when he says, I will ascend above the heights of the cloud? In other words, my glory and the knowledge that I attain will be greater than God's. My splendor will be greater. Who I am will be proclaimed throughout all the universe. Mm. You ever met people that sound like this? No, I'm serious. I met people arrogant. It's all about them. Fifth statement. He says, I will be like the most high. And this is a very revealing statement. 
Because the word most high in the Bible is El Elohim. Look at your neighbor and say El Elohim. Look at your other neighbor and say it means the most high. It literally means possessor of heaven and earth. In Genesis chapter 14, verse 19, it says, And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the most high God. That's El Elohim in Hebrew. Possessor of heaven and earth. In other words, look up forward. When you have the title of El Elohim, it's a specific title only belongs to God because it means possessor of heaven and earth. Lucifer says, no, I will grab that title for myself. I will be El Elohim because he had earth. He had a throne. Earth was his throne. Earth was his. But he says, it's not enough. I want to be possessor of heaven and earth. In other words, he's ungrateful. It's not enough. God gave him the earth in the dateless past. But he says, I also want to be possessor, El Elohim, possessor of heaven and earth. Be careful when you think God hasn't done enough for you. Be careful when you think you deserve more. You might deserve what he got. Do what he did and you get what he got. Come on, talk to me. Right, a foot in the crack. Come on, talk to me. In fact, isn't it interesting? He failed and became a devil. Look at in Isaiah 14, 15. God responded, yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. That was God's answer to him. What you find here, though, is it's quite possible that jealousy was one of the first sins of the universe are to covet, that he wanted more. And we talked about that last week. But what he was really trying to dwell, this is amazing. I want you to listen to me for a minute. He wanted to sit where God sits and where God sits, it's called the Kabod. Say Kabod. It's translated the glory of God. It's where the Godhead sits. It's a mystery. And the word kabod literally means weight because there's a weight to God's glory. You notice that even yourself. Have you ever experienced God's presence where you're overwhelmed? You couldn't stand. You couldn't move. You're, you, because there's a weight to God's glory. In fact, from Genesis to Revelation, when people have an encounter with God, they can't stand. Right? But it's called, say, the kabod. And Satan wanted to sit in the kabod. Now, the Kabod is the dwelling place of the Godhead. I'm about to show you this. In his priestly prayer, Jesus spoke of the glory that he and the Father shared in the dateless past. Look at John 17, 4 through 5. I have seen thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. See, the glory is the dwelling place of the, of the Godhead. Notice even his prayer, he says, Lord, I know as a man, I've only been here 33 years. The disciples don't understand before time was, I was with you in the Kabod. The Godhead, the Father, Son, we dwelt together before the world was created. This is, Satan wanted to sit in that place. He wanted to be part of it. It's crazy. In the same prayer, Jesus asked the Father to reveal that glory to his disciples so that they could understand that his relationship with the Father was before the existence of the world. To understand the glories, to understand Jesus' position. Look at John 17, 24. Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, the kabod, which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. What's he saying? Father, when they understand the glory, the dwelling place of the Godhead, They'll enjoy it because they'll, but they'll understand 
I was with it before they were born. Before the foundation of the earth, I was sharing it with you. Oh, man. Do you remember Moses' prayer? Show me thy glory. Show me thy glory. And the glory is the resting place of the Godhead. No wonder why he's the one who starts off in the beginning. The gods, Elohim, created the heavens. He had a, the moment he asked for God's glory, God showed him Genesis to Deuteronomy. Come on. And the first thing he showed him was the Godhead. Did, did you hear what I just said? That's powerful. Whenever you experience God's glory, you begin to get a revelation of his Godhead, how it operates. And saints, if you don't understand how the Trinity operates, you'll be a useless Christian. But let me give you one little example how the Stephen, Stephen the martyr, the first martyr, as he was killed, he saw the Kabbah, the glory, and instantly he was given a revelation on the, on the Godhead, how they operate. What do I mean by that? Go to Acts chapter 7, verse 55. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, talking about Stephen, looked up steadfastly into heaven and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. Oh my God, there's so much revelation in this verse. Stephen, he's about to be killed. But he gets instantly a revelation when he sees the glory of God. He gets a revelation on the Godhead, how they're operating in his life at that moment. Why? Let me give you a little example. The Father is always the commander in the scripture. Let there be. And God said, and God said, right? Jesus is the doer of the commands. The Bible says in Hebrews 1 that we are the workmanship of his hands. But the Bible says in Job, but the breath of the Almighty hath given me life. The Holy Spirit, listen to this, is the power behind the doing of the Son and the saying of the Father. Come on. <laughs> they work in conjunction. The Father says, the Son says, let's do it. And the Holy Spirit says, here's the power to do it. Now watch, he gets this revelation. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked upon steadfastly and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. The moment Stephen saw the glory, he got a revelation on how the Trinity was working on his behalf. Why? Because at that moment, he became filled, the Bible says, with the Holy Ghost, the third person of the Trinity. And it was the Holy Spirit that was granting him the ability to see in the spiritual realm. Come on, without the Holy Spirit, you can't see in the spiritual realm. So at the very moment when he saw the glory, the Holy Spirit filled him and he began to see in the supernatural realm. And what does he see? He sees Jesus, the second person of the Trinity. He's standing in anticipation and encouraging Stephen to come forward. Come on. But else, what else does he see? He sees God the Father, the first person of the Trinity, is revealed as being, quote, the glory of God, are full of praise, sitting on the throne, unmoved, are unhinged by the events of the earth. What? <laughs> so, Stephen, when he sees the glory of God, the Holy Spirit gives him the ability to see in the supernatural. And then what does he see? He sees Jesus saying, don't look at those stones. Look at me. Focus on me. I'll get you here. And then he sees the Father and he's sitting there, doesn't say anything, unhinged, ain't moved. In other words, nothing rocks God. Did you hear what I said? You run around like a little mouse, where's God, where's God? And God, that's, that's not the character of God. God sits like this. What up? Jesus may get a little excited, but he still sits there. Why am I saying that? I don't care what you're going through right now, God has not moved. He's not changing. He's not nervous. Oh, the devil. Look at Michael. The devil's coming into Denise's life. Oh, no. He's not doing that. 
He's not a wuss. Come on. I hope you heard what I said. And Satan wanted to occupy the Godhead. Occupy the Kabod. He wanted to take its place. How arrogant. How wicked. See, when you study this, not only do you begin to understand what he was trying to do, but you begin to understand even more how the Holy Spirit, God the Father, Son, work in your life. Well, God has a response for him. He says, guess what? You gave me five I wills. I have five I wills of my own. And so in Ezekiel 28, listen to verses 16 through 18, what God says to him. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within, and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God. And I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they might gaze at you. You defiled your sanctuaries by the multitude of your iniquities, by the iniquity of your trading. Therefore, I brought fire from your midst. It devoured you. And I turned you to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all who saw you. So God responds to Lucifer's five I wills with five I wills of his own. These five I wills, these I will statements, if you will, of God are pronouncements of judgment against Lucifer. Here's where this is fascinating. Two of the judgments have already come to pass. Three of them are yet to come. And I believe many of us will see them. That's why... These teachings are important so you understand even the future that's about to come upon the earth. Let's look at the, all five statements. Statement number one. God says, I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God. Here's the first judgment. What does that mean? He was casting Lucifer out of the third heaven. Luke chapter 10 verse 18. And Jesus said unto them, I beheld Satan fall from heaven. How many know that that fight wasn't, wasn't long? Some people have this idea, and you see pictures where they're just fighting, fighting. The Bible says, he, how, how many know that when lightning hits, it's fast? So he goes, hey, you guys, let's ascend. I will ascend. And he came right back down. It was quick. Now, here's what's interesting. He says, I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God. Mountains in the Bible speak of kingship. This particular verse is speaking of Lucifer being cast from the third heaven, the kingdom of God. Look at Psalms 30, verse 7. Lord, by thy favor, thou hast made my mountain to stand strong. Thou didst hide thy face, and I was troubled. King David wrote the psalm and referred to his kingdom as his mountain. And then God says, I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God. In other words, I am now kicking you off your throne, off your mountain. I'm now rescinding your throne. You no longer will have it. Now, here's what's interesting. He says, I will cast thee as profane. This is an amazing word. This word profane is the Hebrew word chala, and it has three meanings, and you might want to write them down. The first meaning, it means to pierce. I will cast you as profane. I will pierce you. Two, it means to profane or to defile. I, you, I will cast you as a defiled piece of trash, basically what that means. But here's the third meaning, and I think it's the most significant. The word profane is to pipe. It's to play a song with a pipe. Why is that fascinating? This third meaning is most interesting since Lucifer was created, we learned last week, with what? Musical pipes in him. 
The Bible says in the day he was created, musical pipes were in him. And yet it says, I will call thee profane or I will call you the piper. In other words, what this signifies is two things. One, Satan is being fired as the music director in heaven. Because he's calling him the piper. Look what he says. He says, I will cast thee as profane. In other words, I'm casting you out, old piper, old music director. You're done. But it has a second meaning too. Because his pipes are his music has now become profane or defiled. In other words, it's a play on words. You don't see it in English. It's in Hebrew. He's saying you're, de- you're defiled. But he's calling them, oh, music piper. Your song is disgusting. Your song has become nasty. Oh, my God. Doesn't it sound like today's music? This is interesting. Statement number two. God says, I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Judgment number two. God commands Lucifer that he has now lost his preeminent position among the angels. Okay? It appears that Lucifer was the covering cherub. We discussed this last week. He was one of two angels who originally covered the throne of God as modeled in the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies. He was one of two angels who had that kind of access and he's pictured on the Ark of the Covenant doing this. He's no longer there. He's been replaced because he says, I'm not happy with being here. I want to sit on the throne that I'm covering. God promises to destroy. He says, I will destroy thee. The word destroy, you might want to write this down, means to cause to wander away. It means to banish. So he's banishing him from the midst of the angels who shine like fiery stones. Because from the midst of the stones of fire, that's a reference to the angels. Psalm 104, verse 4, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flaming fire. So he says, I'm banishing you from the stones of fire. That's why his axis is no longer the covering cherub. He's no longer the pied piper. He's no longer the music director in heaven. He's been banished from the third heaven. Now, what's interesting, the first two statements have already come to pass. The next three are now prophetic. They deal with the future. Statement number three. He says, I will cast thee to the ground. That's the third statement God says. I will, Lucifer, I will cast you to the ground. Judgment three, let me break that down for you. Lucifer will be cast out of the second heaven. He's already been cast out of the third heaven because there's three heavens. The third heaven is where God dwells. Second heaven is the the galaxies, uh, Milky Way, whatever you want to call it. The first heaven is the earth's atmosphere. Are you following me? He was cast out of the third heaven. He was, and now he's about to be cast out of the second heaven. When does this happen? It happens in the middle of the tribulation. Michael, the archangel, will cast Lucifer down from the second heaven to the earth. And we might live to see that, and I believe we will. Let's hear Revelation 12, 7, or 12, 7 through 12. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail. Nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, and that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren, who accused them before our God day and night, has been cast down. 
And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. This is absolutely amazing. This is to be in the future, in the middle of the tribulation. There's a war between Michael and his angels against the dragon, Satan, his angels. And the Bible says the, the feat is so devastating that there's no place for him in the heavenly realm. This is crazy. In other words, his access to the second heaven and beyond is now canceled after this. Remember, up to this point, he has access. He is allowed to make appointments and to go to the third heaven, even to this day, and allowed to accuse you. And at this moment, he says, no more accusations. And he's cast out of the, not just the third, but out of the second heavens. Come on. He is cast to the earth and he's limited to the first heaven, our atmosphere, the earth. And this is when he comes down with great wrath. In fact, it does this comparison contrast. It talks about heaven and its inhabitants. And it talks about the earth and sea and its inhabitants. And it makes a comparison contrast. It says, the ones in heaven rejoice because now the accuser of the brethren is cast down. And there's a rejoicing in the heavens. Come on. But on the earth, he says, whoa. That's pronounced a pronouncement of judgment. He says, woe to the inhabitants of the earth for the devil has come down with great wrath. Why? Because he knows his time is short. Why? Because it's in the middle of the tribulation and he knows he only has three and a half more years before he's bound. And so what is he going to do? I'm going to, he's going to try to create as much hell as he can in that last three and a half years. That's why it's called the day of wrath. Whoa. You know, some of you might actually live to see it. Especially if you don't get your life right with God. Ooh, it got quiet there. No, I'm serious. We are so close to this. We are so, all the signs are there. That's why I'm teaching on this. Oh, pastor, I don't want to go to the tribute. Some of you might be there because of the way you live. Because the Bible says over and over in the book of Revelation seven times, to them that overcome, I will give. And one of them is I will keep you from the tribulation about to come on the earth. Are you overcoming? Are things overcoming you? You decide. You make that decision. One amen. Thank you. Come on. I want to hear some amens. Amen. There we go. It's true whether you like it or not. Why are we teaching? So the fear of the Lord come upon you? Come on. Don't be nervous. Repent. Some of you look like you need depends or something. You know. That was truth that hurt. Statement four, we're almost done. You're almost about to get out, but you don't want to miss the next 14 weeks. There's so much, and I don't want you to miss anything. It's, every, it's going to get better and better every week. I will lay thee before kings. This is the fourth statement of God, that they may behold thee. What is the judgment here? It's the fourth judgment. It speaks of his future final judgment before Christ and the church. When he says, I will lay thee before kings, you know what he's talking about? He's talking about you. That Satan's going to one day have to stand before our judgment and answer to us. Because in Revelation chapter 1 verse 6, it says, and you has he made kings and priests. And the Bible says in Revelation 19 that he's the king of kings and the Lord of. Why? Because there is no male or female in the Bible. We've already talked about this. In other words, a female is a king, a female is a priest, as much as a male is. Look at your neighbor again and say, hello, your majesty. 
What is this saying? He says, I'm going to bring you before my kings. And you'll have to answer to them. Well, can you imagine? And you know what's crazy? On that day when he has to stand in judgment before the church, the kings of the living God, that many of us are going to be frustrated and angry when we realize how much we allowed him to take prominence, prominence in our life. We're going to look and we're say, how did this happen? Why did we allow this to happen? Look at, look, check this out in Isaiah 14, 16. This is the future. We're reading into the future right now. They that see thee, say, that's me, shall narrowly look upon thee. You're going to look at Satan when he, when he stands before you. And consider thee, saying, is this the man that made the earth to tremble, that did shake kingdoms? You're going to look and say, this is the being that shook the nations? He's so weak. And you're going to look at how did I allow him to have so much power in my life? You're going to realize that way, 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 there's way more power in you than in him. Greater is he that's in you. But we give the devil so much credit in the church. We allow him to get our kids on drugs. We allow perversion in our lives. The devil's so strong. No, he's not. He's not that strong. Greater is he. And one day you're going to look and say, I let you get away with all that stuff. See, get the revelation now. When you get the revelation now, you can operate in power even before the time has come. Are you following me? You don't look at temptation. Oh, this is so tempting. Oh, it's so, oh my God, do I have a drink or do I not have a drink? You look and you say, I bind you in the name of Jesus, greater is he that's in me. And you walk forward. You don't have to screw everything that comes before you. You don't have to look at every nasty picture that comes on those memes. Because greater is he that's in you. Do you understand there's so many dumb things we do and we give the devil too much power and God says, you're going to look and you're going to say, this is the one who caused the nations to tremble? Caused me to fall? Look at 1 Corinthians 6.3. Know you not, he's talking about you, say me, that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life I'm teaching you right now in Hebrew, in the Reshieth, in the dateless path. And in the dateless path, we find out that there was a time before time, Lucifer ruled the earth as king, prophet, and priest. And the Bible says, even though you weren't there, at the judgment, you'll be the judge. You'll watch all the videos, all the virtual reality, and you'll make the pronouncement of judgment. No, you're not. You will judge angels. You know why Paul's saying this? He, he's saying, some of you are having these dumb arguments with your family. and friends. What's wrong with you? Don't you know you're much better than this? You're going to be judging angels, yet you can't even judge who has what? He says, you better get it right because you have a lot to go on for you in, in the future. Come on. Are you ready for the last statement? He says, I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all them that behold thee. Judgment 5 is a reference to Lucifer's final punishment to the lake of fire. Let's watch that clip. I want to watch it. Let's watch this. Here's a reference to it. The tide has turned! No one can defeat me! <laughs> I am the power! I am Lord!
us. We have lost. We have lost. That was Hollywood, but it's pretty accurate. I want to read one last verse. Let's listen to what the Bible says. That was the animation of it. Revelation 27 through 10. Listen to his last now, when judgment. when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are on the four corners of the earth. Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone with the beast and the false prophet are. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So, notice it says the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet, the unholy satanic trinity, shall dwell and be tormented day and night forever. So this final judgment, he says, I will bring thee to ashes, a reference that I will put you into the lake of fire, which the Bible says hell was made for Satan and his angels. When does this take place? This is interesting for those taking notes. It takes place after the millennium, the thousand year reign of Christ in which Satan is bound and outward loose shortly for the final battle against God. This is Satan's final end. He will never be loosed again. What, I mean, so what, what does that mean? You know, the greatest time of horribleness is about to come on the earth called the Great Tribulation, seven years. Jesus comes to the earth, Revelation 19, second coming. He takes the prophet and he takes the, the, um, um, the Antichrist beast throws him into the lake of fire. But Jesus will rule on the earth for a thousand years. There will still be people left over. Me and you will be coming with him. You'll read in, Re in Revelation 19. And we'll be like the X-Men. Come on, talk to me in our new bodies. You know what I mean? I'll be guarding Phoenix. Come on, talk to me. Seriously, that's what it says. I mean, it's kind of cool, right? And after a thousand years, this is what's crazy, saints. Crazy. He lets Satan out. 
He's bound for a thousand years. We're going to talk about the bound ones. I think three services. Oh, you don't want to miss that one. We're going to talk about some interesting things. But he binds them for a thousand years and he lets them out. The earth has been ruled from Jesus ruling from Jerusalem for 1,000 years. Men will be populating the earth full again, but there'll be people who never encountered a devil. And so to give them a chance to pick him, did you know a lot of people will still pick the devil? Even after he's been bound for a 1,000 years and there's been perfect peace, yet there'll be still people who look and say, I don't want you. Whoa, I don't, I don't get it. But he's loosed. He starts another battle, the, the second battle of Gog and Magog, because it's a spirit. I wish I had time to break that down. And he fights, and God then takes Satan, and he casts him forever in the lake of what? Fire. Amen. Let's stand in the house of the Lord. Father, we come into your presence, and we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word gives us hope. Your word gives us life. One of the things that we learned in your word today, Lord, is that the devil does not have as much power as we give him. That greater is he that's in us than he that is in the world. And Father, I just pray for everyone in this house, for everyone in this place. I pray that you comfort them, that you give them hope. Father, I pray for those who don't know you. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, whether you're watching me by multimedia, by the radio, or you're in this place, I want you to just repeat after me. Say, Father, I believe that your son Jesus died on the cross for my sins, but he rose again on the third day. Jesus, I give you my life, my mind, my body, my soul, completely over to you. I turn my back on the devil, on the world, and my own desires. Write my name in the Lamb's book of life. I receive you as my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name. If you just said that, come on, give the Lord a big hand of praise. Because I did go a little over about five minutes, I'm going to say a dismissal prayer to to let you go. Um, but we're, our counselors are here, our altar call staff. If you need any kind of prayer, we're going to be here for the next five, ten minutes just to minister. Because even though we're letting you go, we still have an obligation to minister to people, especially after a message like this. So don't be afraid. Don't be hesitant. We're in no hurry. I'm going to say a word of prayer, dismiss you. And those who would like to stay, you're welcome. Or if you want to come up, whatever you choose to do, please do that. Father, we come up, we just come before you and we thank you. I thank you for everybody at Radiant Life Church. Lord, we know a lot of people are on vacation. We pray that you'd protect them where they're at. We pray that you'd protect even those who are here. Father, send them home safely. And Father, we pray for blessing and prosperity. We pray, oh God, for and have a wonderful time during this holiday season. In Jesus' name, everybody said, before you walk out, can you greet five people? Let them know how much God loves them. And if you need prayer, we're here for you. We're going to stand here for a few minutes.
We thank you for your participation in another broadcast of A Radiant Moment. This broadcast is brought to you by the generous giving and donations of our listening audience. If this program has been a blessing to your life, you can help us expand our listening audience by giving a financial donation at RadiantLifeAZ.com. Simply click the online giving tab and fill out the amount God has placed in your heart. For service times, live streaming, and location, visit us online at RadiantLifeAZ.com. Tune in next time as we bring another relevant and radiant word for your life today. Until next time, and remember, God loves you. Thank you.